the people of Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina have spoken. So tonight, I am suspending my campaign. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who saw that coming? Other than everyone. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast, as heard on 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, and 106.7 FM Queso in Cozy Cottage Grove, out in Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI in lovely Lancaster, out in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. Up in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And coast to coast, blanketing the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, Detour Talk in East Tennessee, and many others, including... Radio Sputnik, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today for another thrilling action-packed adventure, and my thanks to Nicole Sandler for helming our previous uh, thrilling action-packed adventure. Nicole Sandler from radioornot.com. Greatly appreciated Nikki, thank you very much. It was a huge weekend, as I'm sure you all know, uh, both in Nevada and in South Carolina. Let's start in Nevada. The Democratic Caucus took place on Saturday, and it was a uh, well, it was it was quite exciting. Let's just say that Uh, as to the results for the moment, Hillary Clinton defeated Bernie Sanders by uh, some six points, 53 to 47 percent. That was uh, obviously good news for Hillary Clinton going into the race. The uh, the pre-election polls such that we had them uh, showed virtually a dead heat, but there were very few pre-election polls. In fact, it's very difficult to poll these caucuses at all, certainly in Nevada, where they haven't been holding them for very long, so it's hard to know what to make of them. And apparently it's hard to carry them out at all, at least uh, as the evidence would suggest coming out of Nevada on Saturday, where there was chaos at various caucus sites, not unlike some of the chaos we saw in the Iowa caucuses a week or two ago. We'll get to that uh, a bit in a bit. Uh, In any event, the delegates pretty much split down the middle despite Hillary Clinton's win with uh, Hillary Clinton taking 22 of the available 43 delegates. So she won 22 delegates. Bernie Sanders won 21. Now, her win there, at least in the state's most populous county by far, that would be Clark County, where Las Vegas is, was partly attributed to the U.S. Senate Minority Leader uh, Senator Harry Reid of Nevada, who reportedly made last-minute calls to the big casinos where many of the caucuses were held, urging managers to allow time off 
for members of the big uh, culinary unions to attend the caucuses in favor of Hillary Clinton, at least reportedly, at least according to the uh, according to the excellent reporting by Nevada journalist John Ralston. But as we saw in Iowa, as I noted, there was some confusion at a number of caucus sites in Vegas and up uh, north, up in Reno and elsewhere around the state. The question of how new that type of confusion is at these caucuses uh, is still an open question. But we will speak with someone who was there at one of them, at least I hope. Our old friend Jimmy Dore will be joining us hopefully shortly. He was there. He was at uh, one of the uh, caucuses, I think at the Paris Hotel, put together a great package for other friends at uh, uh, the Young Turks we will have some of that and hopefully Jimmy with it. He was pulled into a, a Ted Cruz, uh, was it a Ted Cruz rally, uh, does he do it? Yes, before? he said it was a Ted Cruz rally that he had just heard about and he was uh, attending and he was like, oh, yay. Yes, well, that <laughs> and that, of course, is Desi Doyen, our producer. And I, I will note that uh, Ted Cruz has a habit of speaking for a really, really long time. A very so, long time. He has a lot of words he to does. say. So we will see, in fact, what... Uh, we will see if we have Jimmy. In any event, we ha- we will have his report from the caucuses uh, in Las Vegas, uh, where the turnout was approximately 80,000 or so. That's compared to the more than 120,000 that turned out for the Democratic caucuses back in uh, 2008. So turnout is down once again. Uh, uh, journalist uh, John Ralston, as I mentioned, he estimates the turnout would have needed to be about 90,000 for uh, for Sanders to win. So does a smaller turnout in Iowa and New Hampshire and now Nevada bode against the argument that Bernie has been making? Uh, Bernie Sanders has been making that he's a better general election candidate because he can turn out big numbers. Whereas Hillary can't. Well, I, I, a lot of people are saying, uh, well, they, you know, these these this lower turnout suggests that's not the case. But I'm not sure how I completely understand that that bodes poorly against Bernie specifically, as opposed to Democrats in general. In other words, Hillary is a eh, she ain't getting the big turnout either, obviously. But uh, that seems to be the case. Uh, you know, that many of the horse race media in any event are making that uh, somehow this works against Bernie. We'll talk to our guests about that shortly. And of course, that horse race media has been wrong all the time. They are wrong all the time. They have been wrong about this race up until now, not just on the Democratic side, but on the Republican side. So take their punditry with a grain of salt. In any event, more on Nevada shortly. And meanwhile, in South Carolina over the weekend, in the GOP primary that was held out there in the Palmetto State, Donald Trump, off of his 20-plus point win in New Hampshire last week, went on to win the South Carolina primary over the weekend by 10 points over his nearest competitors, Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz. Rubio and Cruz were essentially tied uh, for second, with Trump reported, reportedly receiving 32.5% of the vote, followed by Rubio with 22.5% and Cruz behind him with just 22.3%, just two-tenths of a percent. So essentially a tie there between Rubio and Cruz. Bush, uh, Kasich, Carson, all three of them were far behind in uh, in single digits, leading to Jeb, 
the guy who has spent more money by far than anybody else in the 2016 race to date, uh, finally coming to terms with reality and announcing the suspension of his campaign just hours after polls closed in South Carolina on Saturday. Uh, More on that in a moment as well. Uh, Since election results in South Carolina are 100% unverifiable one way or another because they use 100% unverifiable touchscreens across the entirety of the state. That's how much South Carolina disrespects its voters. Because of that, Cruz and Rubio will be happy, uh, will have to be happy to live with their reported essential tie here, and they seem to be. Uh, Happily, at least for me, there were no huge surprises in those South Carolina numbers for a pleasant change. That's pretty much what we expected to get. Uh, So I don't suspect there will be any challenges, fruitless or otherwise, to the South Carolina results. Uh, Though Sanders, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, will also need to compete there this coming Saturday in the Democratic primary. As of now, Clinton reportedly has a sizable lead in that state. Bernie Sanders is turning his eye towards Super Tuesday on March 1, when more than a dozen uh, uh, states will have primaries and caucuses. uh, One quick note, though, on South Carolina this year. While turnout in South Carolina for the Republicans over the weekend uh, broke records uh, for the primary, at the same time, the number of paper ballot absentee votes uh, fully doubled this year as compared to the 2012 race. Now, I'm no fan of absentee voting. Paper ballots cast at the precinct on Election Day are the best way to try and ensure that your vote is actually counted and counted accurately. But in a state like South Carolina, where the only Election Day option is to vote on 100% unverifiable touchscreen systems, in that case, I would say... Yes, voting uh, absentee with paper ballots is a better option. I'm mentioning that because there are other states where voters will have that same uh, unhappy choice. So if you if you are forced to vote on a touchscreen on Election Day, see if you can vote by absentee paper ballot instead. And if possible, see if you're allowed to drop it off at the jurisdiction, at the uh, uh, precinct, at the polling place on Election Day in your particular jurisdiction. In any event, with Trump winning once again very big over the weekend, even in a state like South Carolina, which was previously regarded as a fertile uh, uh, ground for an evangelical candidate like a Ted Cruz, or viewed as a firewall for a Jeb Bush, where it was believed his family and his brother were incredibly popular, The idea that Trump will uh, somehow be blocked from the Republican nomination is getting more and more questionable by the day. As we've told you on this show for many months, uh, that even as the Republican Party establishment still does not seem to fully understand what is happening to them and why it is that Trump continues to absolutely blow away the rest of the field here to talk about all of this. And we usually only get our wisdom these days uh, about what will happen uh, following, you know, the mountain of amazing debates that we've had so far this uh, this season. Now we get to hear her thoughts for a change about what actually did happen about the amazing events over the weekend in South Carolina and beyond. The great Heather Digby Parton, uh, long known simply as Digby among progressives online, uh, where she continues, by the way, to run Digby's Hullabaloo blog 
while serving as a contributing writer at Salon and as the 2014 Hillman Foundation Prize winner for opinion and an analyst for opinion and analysis journalism in excellent standing. Uh, Heather Digby Parton, welcome back to the broadcast. Thank you for having me, Brad. Uh, so good to have you here as ever. Uh, first, all right, well, we'll get to Trump in a bit, but Jeb Bush is finally out. Uh, Jeb Bush seemed to finally face reality by getting out on Saturday night. That wasn't necessarily a big surprise, but what I wanted to give you a chance to talk about, Heather, because you have covered... Uh, The Bushes, the Bush family dynasty, the Bush family disasters as close as anyone (laughs) over the past, uh, what, two decades at this point now? Yeah. Uh, So to me, the biggest surprise uh, is that Republicans may finally be coming to terms with the end. And I'm, I'm so happy to say this. Let's see if I'm right with the end of the Bush era in these United States, the mm-hmm. end of propping up this fictional successful presidency in any way. I mean, when you can't even win South Carolina, uh, you know, much less come in fourth or fifth after bringing out W, who's you know said to be wildly popular there, and and their mother, and you've got the front runner saying Bush lied us into war, failed to keep us safe on 9-11, uh, and then he goes on to win huge. It seems to me that the Bush era, that great lie, is finally over. Am I right? Am I wrong? Is it time to celebrate? What, what are your thoughts on all of this, Heather? <laughs> well, my belief has been from the beginning of this Jeb campaign that the Bush era was over on January 20th, 2009, mm-hmm. and basically this was some kind of a zombie campaign to try and, and uh, mm-hmm. reanimate it. You know, it never struck me as realistic to think that the country was ready for George Bush again, or any Bush family member again, if ever, certainly not this soon. Um, he, George W. Bush left office with a, you know, his approval rating was in the 20s. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was widely considered an embarrassment at best mm-hmm. to, you know, the vast number of Republicans. I mean, there were a few, we used to call them the dead-enders, you know. Right. Um, these people, about 20% of the country, who were still going, well, you know, we kind of like him. But even those people were probably just raw-rawing for, you know, uh, the sake of the party. Mm-hmm. I mean, the idea that, that, that this country wanted another Bush at this point always seemed ludicrous to me. I mean, look at the, look at the record. Father Bush, mm-hmm. the, you know, who now is, you know, revered as this great statement, he, statesman, he didn't win re-election. No, he was <laughs> I mean, tossed he out, right. And, and then Bush, the, his son, had the election pretty much handed to him by a partisan Supreme Court, and uh, his brother, Jeb's uh, help in the state of Florida, where he was governor. I mean, this was never a legitimate thing in, to begin with, and the idea that people actually thought that they could somehow reanimate it for 2016 always struck me as ludicrous. My belief was, I don't think Jeb ever wanted it. I never got the feeling that he really had the fire in the belly for this job. It didn't seem like it. In fact, you know, it was only like a year and a half ago that his mother was saying, we don't need another Bush in the, the country, right. doesn't need another Bush in the White House. You know, I mean, they were not... This was not a given. In other words, it wasn't one of those things where, well, it's Jeb's time. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, this was something that seemed to sort of bubble up as it looked like it was perhaps possible for him to get past the Bush dynasty thing by, in my view, running against 
uh, Hillary Clinton. So they could just say, well, she's a dynasty, too. You know, mm-hmm. uh, let's mm-hmm. just, they cancel each other out on that, and now we can go forward. And that was never a very well thought out concept <laughs> to no. begin with, uh, if in fact it was even in their minds. But I mean, that just seems logical to me that they figured this was the best time for Jeb to run. Uh, yeah. And, uh, well, I guess, you know, now or never for him. Yeah. And the answer may be uh, never. Nev- never. Yeah. And, you know, and this is no surprise. I mean, to me, Look, they had their chance. They had two presidencies. Both of them were disasters. I mean, Bush mm-hmm. one had uh, a, a a you know successful uh, air campaign war in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, look, what really happened was that it just set the stage for the most disastrous war in history, which was really, in some ways, I shouldn't say in history, but in in uh, modern memory anyway. Uh-huh. Um, and you know that's it was really a continuation that, that war Iraq 2 was a continuation of Iraq 1 both of them um perpetrated by bushes yeah <laughs> so yeah. you know to me this this does not this is not a legacy that i think america is particularly happy about let me just put it that way it hasn't worked out very well no, so it... the idea that jeb actually you know that he failed miserably from the very beginning i don't did he ever score above 10% in actual votes, uh, uh, he didn't, did he? I uh, mean, he was well, always buried. Yeah, well, yeah, no, not in actual votes. I mean, there was a moment when Jeb Bush came out uh, earlier than everyone else. I guess it was January of. 2015 uh, came out with a lot of uh, uh, announcing that he had a lot of funders, a lot of money. And this happened in this atmosphere over the past 10 years where all of these disasters happened prior to it in the in the uh, uh, George W. Bush presidency. But the Republican Party seems to have never actually come to terms with it. They've never, you know, really they I think they've tried to paste it over. Actually, Igor Bobik and and uh, Ryan Grimm at Huffington Post, and I know you quoted these guys also today in your story at Salon, but I noticed this when their article came out uh, Saturday night after uh, South Carolina uh, closed. Uh, they, they described the uh, this this the phantom army that is the Republican uh, uh, Party at this point. Uh, they wrote uh, that Trump's rise and Jeb's fall at the same time suggest that the party's intellectual leaders who organize the base around the National Review Weekly Standard, that's sort of the establishment Republican consensus at this time, uh, the idea that uh, for, that they're in favor of small government, free trade, pro-Israel, deregulation, lower taxes, social conservatism, aggressive foreign policy, that those leaders have been generals of a phantom army, that the troops instead are marching with Trump, who bested his rivals in South Carolina by campaigning against Nearly everything that the Bush family, the Republican Party and the neocons who supported military intervention have advocated for. They go on to list among his among Trump's many breaks with the elite consensus uh, that Trump declared that uh, George W. Bush lied about weapons of mass destruction Uh, in the march to war. He blamed uh, Bush for the 9-11 attacks. Uh, defended Planned Parenthood, boasted that he was the only Republican who would not cut Social Security or Medicare, approve the individual mandate in Obamacare. Uh, So all of these things 
that the Republican Party has spent the last eight years during the Obama administration sort of papering over, not dealing with, not coming to terms with, it seems to me are now coming back to haunt them. And the the people, the Republican voters, as disinformed as they are, uh, they seem to get it. They seem to understand that the Bush years were a disaster and they want something else. Whatever that else is, uh, we'll see. But they seem to be more honest with themselves than does the party establishment itself. Is that a fair assessment? It is. I think, I mean, there's two parts to that. The first is, is that I think they are more honest with themselves about the reality of Republican governance and how that's actually panned out. I mean, they're, they're no longer subject to the propaganda that says, you know, if we just lower rich people's taxes, everything mm-hmm. will be better. You'll all, you'll all have great, you know, jobs. You'll all be millionaires. I mean, you know, the, this notion, I think, is no longer very salient. Anybody who's saying that isn't getting very far. However, it is my view, and perhaps I'm just a cynic, but I think the reality of this is exactly what you said, that, you know, the sort of the, the edifice of the, the conservative movement, this idea of the three-legged stool of, you know, family, but traditional values, small government, and mm-hmm. strong military. These were the, this was the coalition, this is what held it all together. Um, that the details of that actually ever mattered to them. I don't think mm-hmm. it ever did. <laughs> My mm-hmm. personal belief is, is that this isn't, this isn't something where all these Trump voters are going, you know, I finally realized just how wrong conservative ideology was. And what I really care about is, you know, he says single payer, I'm for it. He's for, he says Planned Parenthood does good work. You know, he's right. Mm-hmm. And golly gosh, you know, what I really want is for, for, you know, for him to protect Social Security. I mean, the truth is, in my view, that they don't care about any of that stuff, mm-hmm. and they never did. Yep. That what they care about, what the reason they like Trump is because he's not dog-whistling. What they heard from all these people, blah, 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 small government, taxes, tort reform, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. They heard all this, but that what they, were, what they really heard were the dog whistles. I, you know, mm-hmm. for instance, black people, crime you know, uh, Mexicans, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. getting screwed by foreigners, right. you know, let's let's go invade a foreign country. I mean, these were the things that, that those dog whistles were what kept them in the group. Now, I don't know if this is true of the entire Re- Republican coalition. I doubt if it is. But Trump is speaking for a large number of them who are, that's what they were, that's what they were hearing. You hear mm-hmm. them say it over and over and over again. He says, out loud what I am thinking. He says that he's not politically correct. Now, what are they talking? They're not talking about Planned Parenthood there. I think they're talking about deporting 12 million Mexicans and banning Muslims from coming into the country. That is what Trump is speaking Uh, to. uh, So it is very important that we not confuse their uh, fealty to Trump with uh, any of these liberal apostasies that he has done in the campaign, in my view. And again, maybe I'm being too much of a cynic, but I don't know. I watch these people. I don't hear a lot of compassion no, from any uh, of them. No, uh, I, I, yeah, I think you're exactly right. You've been exactly right on this issue since Trump came out. And, uh, uh, you know, everyone else was calling regarding him as a joke. It's never going to work. He's going to quit. He's going to, you know, he couldn't possibly win an election. Uh, you've been saying the opposite of that, uh, you know, and you and I have been talking about it on this show literally from the day he got yep. into the race. 
but I would argue that even with these uh, with these wins now in South Carolina, in New Hampshire, I would argue, as you seem to as well over in your article today at, at Salon, that the Republicans' uh, establishment still don't get it, still don't understand Donald Trump. Uh, I think you're right. But I think you might be right in a way that uh, you may not even uh, have thought through yet. We'll find out. You write, according to The New York Times, uh, members of the establishment, Republican establishment, are starting to panic. Henry Barber, a Republican National Committee member from Mississippi, sounded a note of alarm about Republicans continuing to wait to see how the race plays out. Quote, after Trump has won in New Hampshire and South Carolina, Republicans are crazy and about to blow the White House if we don't rally to stop him said Barber. It's certainly time that we have to consolidate the race. He predicted that Mr. Trump's nomination would not only cost Republicans the White House, but also hurt the party's chances of keeping its majority in the Senate. Now, I have, um, you know, obviously the, the talk is, well, we have to consolidate. We have to everybody's got to get behind Marco Rubio in order to stop Cruz, in order to stop Trump. But I will argue, or I will ask you at least, uh, Heather, will Trump really cost Republicans if he does win the nomination? I I know that that has been the conventional wisdom, but that conventional wisdom has been wrong from the beginning, it seems to me. Right now, turnout is way up, way up for Republicans. It's down for Democrats. So does that translate into the general election? And if so, can a case be made that Trump may be the Republicans' best not worst chance? Oh, I I actually think he is their best chance. Yeah. And that's not saying that I think they have a great chance. Okay, um, fair enough. Because I think that with all of these candidates, mm-hmm. including Marco Rubio, who I always thought was their best choice on paper, you know, going into this whole thing, I thought, you know, if I were a Republican, who would I pick? And it would be him because he's young, he's Hispanic, he's very conservative, but kind of seems like a boyish type. You know, I mean, on paper, he looked he looked like the, the logical candidate to put forward. Yeah, but he's a lousy, he's a lousy he's candidate. Yeah. yeah. So that, you know, but I'm just saying that, you know, in the beginning, I would have thought him. Sure. At this point, Trump is, you know, he is, he's riding a tiger, and I think it's, uh, it's a pretty powerful thing, and it scares me to death, to be honest, because I think that what I'm starting to see mm-hmm is even among people like, I mean, I just got a a thing from Alex Castellanos. You know, he's a big Republican Republican strategist. He appears on CNN, and and everybody would recognize him if they saw him. Mm -hmm. And he, for some reason, I'm on his email list. He sends Mm -hmm. out this stuff that that he's thinking. And, you know, he's coming around to Trump. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And he was absolutely 100% antagonistic toward him. Now, the reason that Alex Castellanos is doing that is because he's beginning to see that Trump is going to probably get the nomination and that it's increasingly difficult to stop him. And a lot of that is just structural. I think we talked about this last time, about the fact that they had front-loaded these primaries to favor the front-runner. Mm-hmm. Little did they know the front-runner would be Donald Trump. So this is it's very difficult just on a, you know, as far as delegate math is concerned, that as long as both Cruz and Rubio stay in, and there's no reason for either one of them to drop out because they're equally, you know, they're, they're mm-hmm. neck and neck as far as, as you know, their, their levels of support within the party so far, that as long as they stay in, it's going to be very hard to beat him. He will probably wind it up could be by the end of March. Yeah. 
delegate-wise. Yeah, now, and, and I, I want mean, you to explain that, because you had written uh, also today at Salon, uh, Heather Digby-Parton, about the delegate the delicate scheme that was attached, or that was hatched <laughs> after. Now, this was meant uh, to avoid a rerun of what happened with Mitt Romney and that long slog which moved everyone to the right. Uh, but... Uh, well, explain what happens well, was, in a couple you know, of weeks they, here. It was, they're always fighting the last war, right? So sure. <laughs> they figured that the last time there were too many debates with a bunch of silly people, and it really kind of denigrated their brand. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so they were going to reduce the number of debates. I don't know, but they ended up this time, of course, having double debates, mm-hmm. and more people than ever watched their debates mm-hmm. because they had to split them in two, right? So right. they had all kinds of crazy stuff going on now for months, as you and I mm-hmm. have been chronicling on your show. Um, and so that was part of it. And the other was that they were going to change the, the method by which delegates were apportioned in order to favor the, uh, you know, who they considered would be the front runner at the time the primaries actually start and this right? is and this is the part that people don't yet i think fully understand fully appreciate that just weeks away from everything changing in the delegate math on the republican side I- explain well well what they what, what they did was they last time as everyone i'm sure recalls it was it was a bit of a circus just like it is now this this, this clown mm-hmm. car they, you know, Newt Gingrich won South Carolina last time. I don't right, know if anybody right. remembers that. So, yeah. you know, I mean, it's like a, the, the, there was still nobody expected Newt Gingrich to actually win the presidency, but it meant that Romney was being pushed as far to the right mm-hmm. throughout these uh, primaries and was consistently being, you know, pressured and having to stay in the race mm-hmm. and being, you know, having to defend himself. And it got, there were these million, millionaires who were backing, you know, they, I think it was Gingrich had Sheldon Adelson the last time, right. the rich Las Vegas magnate who, who, you know, handed him millions of dollars to, to try and destroy Mitt Romney. So, you know, this is what they were trying to avoid. Well, what they ended up doing was in these early, early, um, uh, states, early primary states, the the delegates are apportioned in in very <laughs> strange ways mm-hmm. to the front runner. For instance, uh, you know, very few um, states are are totally winner take all anymore. They changed that, but in South Carolina, all of the delegates there were fifty delegates went to Donald Trump, despite the fact that he only got thirty two point five percent. Well, because he won in each of the counties, and That's so right. because of the math, he got them all. But in a couple of weeks, basically what they said was, uh, well, the Republicans uh, said, uh, you know, we'll, we'll divvy up the delegates according to how people do in general. Uh, but then after May 15th, I'm sorry, is it May 15th or March 15th? After Mar- March 15th. Yeah, after March 15th, all of these races become winner take all. So if that if this remains sort of a, a sort of a three way tie, yep. let's call it in, in delegate math, once they then get to March fifteenth and states like Florida and Texas, if Donald Trump wins Florida, if Donald Trump wins Texas, even by a you know a, a tenth of a percent, and he's currently he on track to win it, yeah, by much more, he gets them all. He gets all the delegates. This thing is over. Donald Trump is the nominee. Yep, and and there's another aspect to this too, which is that even if they were able to persuade Cruz, who I think is the one they all want to drop out, and I don't see any reason why he, he will, or frankly why he should. I mean, he's as legitimate mm-hmm. as Rubio is sure. as far as the voters are concerned. 
Um, but, you know, if he, if they were able to persuade him to drop out and they could get rid of Kasich, they'll never get rid of Carson, believe me. He's in until the bitter <laughs> end. He's not going anywhere. But if they were able to clear the field and just have, the assumption is, is that all these other voters mm-hmm. are not Trumps, right? They're mm-hmm. people who, who are voting for other, all these other people out of some kind of loathing for Donald Trump. I don't think there's evidence to back that up. I mean, tr- even Trump says it. He goes, what makes him think, you know, he said it on TV last, you know, yesterday, <laughs> what makes him think I'm not going to get any of these voters? And I'm mm-hmm. going, yeah, I don't get it either. Because yeah. if you look at his, the demographics, he gets people in every demographic in the Republican Party. There's nobody that is completely, you know, there's no group that you can look at. And Rubio's um, you know, he's, he's doing the same thing. There's no, there's, there's no evidence to suggest. I mean, they look at this poll and they say, who's your second choice? But they have not yet factored in the fact that Donald Trump looks like the winner. There's always a bandwagon mm-hmm. effect, and there's always some, you know, you're thinking, well, he's going he's gonna to take it, so my second choice, third choice, whatever it is, you know, you might pick him. Now, I'm not saying there aren't a whole bunch of Republicans who are appalled at the idea that Donald Trump will be president. I mean, I, I, I honestly believe there have to be millions of them who are just going, oh, my God, you know, what's happening? Because Donald Trump is, they'll, you know... I mean, they'll come around, him. Heather. They'll come around. They'll realize that it, it, once they realize that, look, he is our best chance of winning, may not right. be a huge chance. and that chance. is what Alex yeah. Castellanos is saying yep. today. He's saying, you know, I, I now I'm rooting for him to become a better candidate, you know. Uh, now, what, uh, this is also part of their fallacy, is that they, there is a school of thought within the Republican Party that Trump is malleable, that they'll be able to mm-hmm. take control because he doesn't really know what he's doing, and once, he, once it looks like he's for real, that he's going to need them. And uh, that, maybe, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know, maybe, yeah. maybe Trump will uh, you know, uh, <laughs> be able to suppress his ego enough to take the advice of these people, but I, you know, I wouldn't bet money on it, I, um, but... I, I, I got to get out here uh, shortly. Let me uh, hit you with just two quick questions, uh, Heather. I, to me, it is amazing that uh, two of the three leading candidates uh, right now, uh, Trump, Rubio, and Cruz, two of the three of them are absolutely despised by the Republican Party itself. Uh, what does this say about a party where the, the, the two of the three leading candidates uh, are, are just despised by the party? It, it seems to me this is a broken, broken party. It yep. has been broken since George W. Bush, and since then it's been put together with uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, paste and paper mache and lies and pretending by Fox News that uh, we have no real problem here. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I, I, you know, they have been. Look at look at the at the at the vote counts for president uh, going back. I mean, since since George H. W. Bush won in 1988. Mm-hmm. I mean, Republicans have not done well on a national basis ever since then. George W. Bush made it in. I mean, he stole the 2000 election. We know that. In 2004, we were in the midst of this crisis, post 9/11 crisis, that gave him. Uh, you know, enough momentum to actually win. But the truth is, is that maybe, Republicans... Maybe, maybe, just saying. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I ahead. mean, you know, that's <laughs> right. d- debatable as yeah, well, yeah, of yeah. course. Go ahead. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, this is, I think this has been coming for a long time. I mean, the, the zenith of their power as a movement was the, the Reagan Revolution, and, you know, it's been kind of degraded ever since. I mean, there is one thing we should never do, though, is be complacent about this, because this, this is one of the two parties. They are very, very powerful. They have tremendous resilience. They have a lot of power that they've accumulated in other ways in our political system, in the states, in, you know, with all this money with the court cases that have mm-hmm. given them tremendous power with with their big money interests so I, I i don't want anybody to start you know sitting back and saying hey you know it's over yeah. we can we can rest no, let's go back to, to partying well that that but, party may be broken but their their voters yeah. still come out and vote and they that's do. a big difference uh, heather last uh, very quickly because i must get to a break and and hopefully uh, uh jimmy door uh shortly who was in nevada i just want to get your uh, your quick take your quick thoughts on what happened over the weekend at the nevada caucuses uh, where uh, Hillary Clinton uh, defeated Bernie Sanders by uh, about six points, according to the reported results. Well, I mean, I, 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 you know, I kind of expected it. I mean, I know that the polling showed that um, that she was that they were tied or more or less tied going into it. But Nevada is uh, notoriously difficult to poll. Mm-hmm. It is a caucus, you know, all mm-hmm. the usual blah 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 about that sort of thing. Didn't surprise me at all. That's her coalition, and you know, she is. This is the first test of that coalition, so it was pretty, um, you know, I mean, it was a good victory for her because she was able to prove that, yes, that that her coalition of, you know, uh, older people, women, uh, African-Americans, and Latinos, and I think in in Nevada she also had union members. That group, you know, those kinds of, that group of demographics that she is supposed to be stronger in, she proved that she was able to turn them out. I don't think it was a rout uh, in any way. I mean, Sanders obviously proved he, he got his coalition out. It's just that the turnout wasn't particularly huge. And this is really the problem going forward. You mentioned it earlier. Probably more of a problem for Sanders than it is for Clinton because she has the regulars, you know, the people who always vote. But mm-hmm. um, the turnout is low for, lower for Democrats than it was in 2008, and it's huge for <laughs> Republicans. Yeah. And a lot of people are very concerned on how that comes out in the general. I don't think it's a problem. I don't care who the Republicans nominate, uh, Democrats, anybody who's sane is going to vote in November because the, the stakes are going to be very high and they're going to be obviously very, very, uh, you know, two very, very different candidates. So I, I think that'll be okay. I don't, I'm not surprised because, you know, look, you know, the Democrats know that either Sanders or Clinton will be fine. So a lot of people aren't bothering to vote in primaries We will, might have otherwise. We will leave it on that uh, perhaps overly optimistic note from Heather Digby-Parton. <laughs> Hopefully it's just optimistic, not overly, but we'll find out. Uh, Heather Digby-Parton, check out her work as always at a Salon and over at her blog, digbysblog.blogspot.com and on the Twitters at Digby. Five, six. I know we're going to keep talking to you a whole lot because there's a bunch of debates coming up uh, (laughs) soon enough and uh, primaries and everything else. So, Heather, always great to check in with you. Thanks Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Brad. You betcha. All right. A quick break. And uh, we are back uh, to talk Nevada and maybe with Jimmy Dore right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Please clap. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. 
Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to keep doing so now more than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going or even just a one time only contribution. While everyone else covers the horse race, we also keep our eyes on the track conditions those horses are running on. Because voting systems, access to the polls, and citizen oversight of election results can make all the difference. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy by taking about 60 seconds right now to stop by bradblog.com donate today. And thanks. Viva Las Vegas! Viva Las Vegas! Viva Las Vegas! Viva! Viva Las Vegas! Indeed, Viva Las Vegas! Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com with you here. And uh, we will get into this uh, Nevada Democratic Caucus uh, mess. Is it fair to call it a mess, Desi Doyen? Oh, uh, I think definitely again, it's fair to call it a mess. Following the Iowa caucus mess. Well, at least we know it's a mess. We have no idea in these other states, uh, you know, when results are messed with. We have no idea. We, we, we found out that in Iowa, yes, they were messed with. And they were, uh, in fact, the Democratic Party had given more county delegates to Hillary Clinton than they should have. And we found that out because people at the caucus said, wait a minute, these are not the results that we saw at the caucus when there was, you know, when we counted publicly what the numbers should have been. That was in Iowa. We may see that now coming out of Nevada. Just one uh, point I want to finish up uh, coming out of South Carolina and, um, and, and, and Donald Trump and the way that the Republicans have Misunderestimated, to use a, uh, a Bushism, a George W. Bushism, uh, have misunderestimated what they're dealing with, who they're dealing with, and who they are. But Newt Gingrich, of all people, was on Fox News this morning on Fox and Friends, and I think nailed it uh, closer than anyone in the Republican establishment has so far in understanding exactly where Donald Trump comes from. And uh, he put it neatly into this one soundbite. Look, you, you can you can say that Trump is the candidate Fox and Friends invented. Yes, that's it. Nailed it. He is the he's the uh, candidate that Fox News invented. Yeah, he makes a good point in that in the broader clip where he talks about, look, Trump for all of these years can just call you guys up on the phone, yeah. sit at home in his bedroom and chit chat with you. And he gets all of this free time that he does not have to pay for, unlike the other candidates. And I think what they uh, the establishment party still doesn't get it. And Donald Trump's voters, I don't know if they get it or not, but because care. basically what Donald Trump does is he goes on TV the next day and he just uh, says whatever he heard on Fox News last night. I mean, if you look at that town hall he did last week with Joe Scarborough and, and Mika Brzezinski on MSNBC, it was horrible. They asked exactly zero follow-up questions. They pressed him on absolutely nothing as Donald went on and on and on mumbling stuff he heard on Fox News. That's it. 
And of course, you know, after you spend uh, how many uh, decades now uh, telling people that uh, Fox News, they're the only ones who are telling you the truth when somebody goes out and mumbles and reiterates exactly what they've heard on Fox News. Of course, those brainwashed voters are going to say, yes, that's what I agree. That's what I believe. And that's what's happening with uh, Fox News. Perhaps the Republicans should have thought about that when they used Fox News as a propaganda outlet to stay to say stuff that they knew was demonstrably false, was completely untrue. And now they're pretending to be shocked when when someone uh, says it out loud and runs for president on it and it, it, and people fall for it and they're still falling for it. All right. In any event, uh, on to Nevada, where I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, Hillary Clinton was announced the winner of those uh, those caucuses, 53 to 47 percent over Bernie Sanders, with the delegates splitting pretty much right down the middle. Even with Hillary's uh, six point win there, uh, the delegates split is uh, currently 22 to 21, unless that changes the way some of the numbers changed, as I mentioned, uh, post-Iowa. But it was, in fact, a mess in uh, in many regards in Nevada over the weekend during the caucuses. Uh, the Reno Gazette Journal was following a lot of the problems as they were being reported up in northern Nevada, up, uh, up near Reno. For example, confidential voters were turned away. In, in Nevada, you can register. You can register as a Democrat. Or Republican, but keep your but request that your party identification stays confidential. If so, the Democratic Party requires you to be a Democratic uh, registered Democratic voter when you vote. But if your registration is marked as confidential, they don't know if you're a Democrat or not. You have the ability to re-register right then and there as a Democrat. But a lot of voters didn't want to do that. Reno. Uh, Gazette Journal uh, documents, for example, Michael and Diana Jones, they were turned away from participating in the caucus in Gardnerville, despite being registered voters in Douglas County. They remained they wished to remain confidential voters so that uh, their names weren't public and they didn't get uh, hit with uh, tons of robocalls and uh, uh, pamphlets, mailers and so forth, the campaign literature in their mailbox. He said he uh, one of these uh, people who was a confidential voter said that they planned to re-register so that they could participate in uh, in some places. The Wi-Fi was overloaded and that meant that the express check in computers were crashing, leaving only one or two for uh, some people at the uh, uh, Mount Rose Elementary School. That led to long lines, long lines which were reported all over the state, really, both uh, up in uh, uh, near Reno, down in uh, Las Vegas and so forth. Uh, Patrick Borden at Virginia Palmer Elementary wrote that the lack of printed voter registration rolls, uh, slow, slow Internet and uh, maps to easily determine which precinct a voter was in slowed our registration process to a crawl. Laura Poor at uh, at Greenbrae Elementary School said that uh, this is complete bull. We have lost our vote. We have lost votes voters on both sides due to it being slow. I need to go to work, but luckily my work rocks and they understand. Meanwhile, at the casinos down in uh, down in Las Vegas, as we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, casino managers were called reportedly by Senator Harry Reid and asked to allow 
employees at the casino to have time off, paid time off, so that they could participate in the caucuses. The allegation being there from uh, Nevada journalist John Ralston that uh, Harry Reid is supporting Hillary Clinton and that allowing members of the culinary unions at the at the casinos to vote uh, increased her numbers, inflated her numbers at the caucuses. Meanwhile, back up near Reno, uh, some gave up because of the long lines. Anna Conti uh, reportedly said she was giving up on caucuses. She said this was my first experience with a caucus. She's been voting for 48 years, and it did not go well. She found long and confusing lines. No one seemed to know where to go, and official caucus workers didn't know either, she said. In fact, they all seemed irritated by our questions. The last one told me, I don't know. You'll just have to wait. So there was a lot of confusion. That's what happens at these caucuses. Now, the upside is we get to see that this happens at these caucuses. So maybe something can be done about it. Our friend uh, Jimmy Dore from the Jimmy Dore show here at our flagship uh, station in Los Angeles, KPFK, and uh, a frequent contributor to the Young Turks. He is up in Nevada. He filed this report from inside the caucus room at the uh, at the Paris Hotel and Casino on Saturday afternoon. We're in Las Vegas covering the Democratic caucus at the Paris Hotel. So there doesn't really seem to be any process to this. There doesn't seem to be any kind of organization. Um, I know they do it every four years, but it looks like they do it every 40 years. That's the chairman of the caucus right there. That's how they count to see who's who, that's literally how they do it. He's got some stuff written down on his hand. That's how official this is. You see him? He's copying it off of his hand right now. <laughs> if you notice, that's what's happening. It's hilarious. Very old school. This is this is democracy from the 1860s. Here we go. This is before calculators even. Ladies and gentlemen, as of today's caucus results, Senator Sanders has gained seven delegates, Secretary Clinton, as, oh, I'm sorry, I have this. I'm sorry, six delegates. Secretary Clinton has gained 13 delegates. So he just made the call 13 delegates going to Hillary Clinton, six delegates going to Bernie Sanders, working delegates going to Bernie Sanders, working people vote against their own interests once again. Isn't that fantastic? And now they're going to vote against their own interests in Spanish. <laughs> now that was. That was Jimmy, who is uh, who's been on this show, uh, admitting that he is, of course, a Bernie Sanders supporter. And it was Bernie Sanders supporters from whom I have seen so far the most complaints. Uh, we we may have more and we may have more video as time goes forward. A lot of people, thankfully, were videotaping the caucuses. Uh, that makes it a little bit easier to figure out what actually happened among amongst the uh, uh, the confusion. But you know what? That's what caucuses are. That's what they often look like. These are not run by the state. These are not run by the counties. These are not so-called professional uh, you know, election staffers. They are actually run by the parties, and they are often a mess. And that's, you know, uh, not necessarily a good or bad thing in and of itself. At least it's something that we can see. We can't see at all, for example, in South Carolina, where they're going to be voting uh, next Saturday for the Democrats. We can't see at all how those results are tallied, how those results are compiled. So 
you know, I'm uh, I'm I'm sort of of two minds, I guess, when it comes to uh, to these caucuses. I'm of a mixed mind in one large sense. They are inherently undemocratic in one way, in that if you're not available on a caucus day uh, to get to the caucuses, if you can't afford to wait in those long lines. And by the way, with those long lines, turnout was still down. So what does that mean? How did the Democrats screw it up so that it, it ended up resulted in, in turning people away? And there's some question, not just that the turnout overall mm -hmm. was down, but with the long lines and all the people who apparently left before delegates were chosen, uh, you know, what kind of impact, what the what the numbers would have been had it been more and better organized? Um, you know, yeah. what kind of impacts does this have? We will probably never know. Well, uh, and yes, uh, as I was saying, it's, you know, inherently undemocratic because you have to be there. There's no, you know, absentee voting. You have to be able to spend the time to stand in those lines and then, you know, listen to the pitches that the uh, uh, various candidate supporters give uh, for their candidates before you finally cast the vote and then apparently write it down on your hand. And Jimmy Dore made made some fun of that. But again, at least he could see it. At least we could see it. At least his video shows exactly how many voters there were on the one side of the room for Hillary Clinton and on the other side for Bernie Sanders. Now, we had hoped to have uh, uh, Jimmy Dore on with us. As I mentioned, he got uh, pulled into he's still up in Vegas. The uh, Republicans will be caucusing there on Tuesday. And so Jimmy is still up there covering what's going on in Nevada. He got pulled into a Ted Cruz event, which <laughs> goes, don't laugh, uh, it goes on forever. So unfortunately, we're not going to be able to have Jimmy, uh, at least not today. Maybe we'll have him uh, later this week. But we do have his report, which I'm very happy about. On the other side of the undemocratic nature of the caucuses, while they are confusing as to how they work, and, and they give the upper hand to party insiders, really, uh, and those who have participated previously, party insiders uh, who know how this process works. A case can be made, as I say, that they are at least more transparent, given the horrific way that we have buried the tally of results virtually everywhere else with computers. And not just in places like South Carolina, where you got 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting, but voting, but even in places where there are paper ballots and those paper ballots are run through optical scan computers and nobody bothers to check them to make sure that they are accurate. So. Uh, you know, it's uh, it, it's difficult to know what you know what to make of it. But this is what we have done to our democracy here in America. We have made it so difficult for there to be legitimate oversight of election results that people like me are actually happy that we get to have caucuses, even though they are chaotic, but that we can actually see them. Oversight remains the absolute key to legitimate election results. And if we don't have that, having any legitimacy for these uh, elections becomes almost impossible. There was more to Jimmy's report because after they uh, announced the results of the caucus in the room, I realized that the, the guy who was running the caucus... Oh, forgot to hold the actual election for the actual uh, delegates that will be sent to the to the state party and then on to the national. Uh, just an absolute mess. I'll post a link to uh, to Jimmy's full video at uh, at bradblog.com tonight when we uh, when we post the audio for this. But uh, amazing. 
There's your democracy. There's your democracy at work. Hey, at least you can see it. We're going to take a quick break and we will come back with whatever minutes we have left. Yeah, I'm running late again uh, on the broadcast. This is Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Trouble is on the way. Um, we've got just a, a minute or two left here. Uh, Hillary Clinton declared victory in Nevada, obviously, after uh, beating Bernie there, reportedly by about six points. He, for his part, vowed to fight on. The next contest is that 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting system race in South Carolina on Saturday, where Clinton currently has a sizable lead at least according to most of the pre-election polls. And despite Sanders uh, recently narrowing that margin since his big win just a week or so ago in New Hampshire. Uh, Sanders also did receive a bit of good news on Friday as the first national poll showed him with a slim lead over Hillary Clinton for the very first time nationally across the country. That's the good news. Bad news is it was a Fox News poll, but still, there you go. A poll is a poll. Uh, He, Bernie, for his part in Nevada, said pretty much on. He's kind of counting out South Carolina, it seems. He said on to Super Tuesday on March 1. The pair will compete in that case in more than a dozen states. But at least as of now, Clinton leads in Most of those states fairly decidedly, though, according to the polling in a majority of the states, uh, those uh, her lead is also beginning to narrow as the momentum continues to move towards Bernie, or at least it was until whatever happened in Nevada over the weekend. So we will see uh, we will see what happens there. In the meantime, the Republicans Uh, And the media may finally be waking up to what the hell is going on on the Republican side. Took them long enough. Here they were on uh, CNN after the results came in in South Carolina on Saturday night. And they finally realized, oh, yeah, Donald Trump may win this thing. I, I do not think that we can overstate what's going on here. Donald Trump is on the path to become the Republican nominee for president, more so than any other candidate in the race. If Ted Cruz... In a state like South Carolina, with 74% of the electorate being born-again Christian, Mm -hmm. cannot dent in to Donald Trump's path to victory, that is a problem. Because if it doesn't happen here, Donald Trump's only moving to terrain that is better for him from this point forward. I, I, I think that it is going to take something that I don't see out there right now to stop Donald Trump from becoming the nominee. Wake up and smell the roses, right? I mean, Trump wins. Exactly. Trump wins. Wake up and smell the roses. My thanks to our producer today, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, and of course, to Salon's Heather Digby-Parton for joining us, and to Jimmy uh, Dore, who couldn't make it today, but uh, thanks for allowing us to use his his package from that, that report from Nevada. If you missed any portion of the program, you can, as ever, download it for free at bradblog.com or over at iTunes. You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And you can find me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at The Brad Blog. All right, we will see you uh, same Brad time, same Brad channel tomorrow. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.